Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I host the program each week. And uh, this week, we're going to try and push through the fact that I have been fighting a cold over the last few days. So apologies if my voice seems a little raspy. But we're going to try and, and muscle man our way through the show anyway. So let's uh, start it off as we always do with our recap of where we are with COVID and monkeypox. Uh, on the COVID front, we're at 95.7 million cases. Uh, 1.053 million people have died from the disease and 609 million people have received a uh, vaccination. And just FYI, that's up uh, over two and a half million over just a week ago. So we are making progress. More people are continuing to get vaccinated. That's a good thing. Uh, We do need to keep on top of our uh, social distancing, our masking protocols when they're applicable. uh, And uh, we will slowly uh, make this disease become not such a big uh, deal. Uh, on the monkeypox front, we're up to 22,774 cases, and uh, that's a rise of about 1,600 cases over the past week. So, you know, we need to make sure that we are protecting ourselves, you know, and not being exposed to people who have the monkeypox disease. Uh, and if you want guidance on what to do, the CDC and the uh, health and science uh, websites have all the information that you need. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into uh, what we're going to talk about this show. Uh, we're going to start it off and um, I'm going to promo the first segment by just bringing up the fact that if you're a longtime listener, to the Fired Up series, whether it was the uh, radio-based version uh, or the past or now in our podcast format, um, you know that we talk quite a bit, almost constantly, about voter registration. And more specifically, we also frequently talk about the games that are being played to disenfranchise voters, the things that are being done Uh, by primarily Republicans uh, to uh, limit the number of voters uh, because it's a a known and proven fact that the lower the voting population is, the more likely that Republicans will do well. Uh, The higher turnout we have, uh, Democrats generally tend to favor in those situations. So uh, this, this news comes by way of uh, the Tom Hartman show and for those that don't know Tom Hartman is a progressive uh, broadcaster on Sirius XM he's one of the sources that I routinely check in with uh, to get information and background on political stories Uh, I find his insights to be uh, very well founded and um, very helpful in terms of the information he provides and uh, the action and act the action and activism that he espouses so in 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 a uh, piece that was uh, in his show on the 18th of September 
uh, he's talking about a new plan uh, afoot by Republicans uh, targeting getting uh, more and more Democrats off of the voting rolls. And this is something that we've talked about frequently here on this show about making sure, you know, number one, that your voting registration is current and is correct. So uh, what Tom Hartman was saying in, in this uh, episode was uh, Republicans have come back to the realization that the more that they can do to limit the voters in a given election, the better the Republican chances are of winning in that election. And um, this goes all the way back to something that's cited to uh, Paul Weyrich, who was uh, co-founder of the American Heritage Foundation. And he's quoted as saying, quite frankly, our leverage in the elections goes up as the voting populace goes down. So it, it's something that the Republicans have known about for a long time. And, you know, they continually make efforts to reduce the number of people who are showing up to vote. And we've, we've seen this happen in recent history, but it's been an ongoing process for a, a number of years. So the Republicans are coming for your vote, and they're coming with a ferocity that uh, has not been seen since Southern efforts during Reconstruction. Um, in addition to the hundreds of new laws and rules having to do with voter ID, moving or closing polling places, and, get, and gutting people's ability to get absentee ballots, they've adopted poll scrubbing tactics that have already shown they can cut Democratic votes and hand elections to Republicans. So, you know, we've seen this in recent elections. Uh, we'll bring up in the uh, Georgia race with Stacey Abrams, and we'll talk about that too. But, you know, the way that this new scam works is they are focusing on the people who are most likely to not vote because it means taking time off from work and they uh, will lose that time and that would be most likely hourly workers which are largely working class and working poor people and you know studies that they have conducted have shown that these are less likely to vote uh, in every cycle, particularly in elections that don't seem crucial, like midterm elections. After all, it costs them money to take time off work to vote. And over a century of white people imposing poll taxes on black people, proving that making voting expensive reduces voter turnout among working class people. Uh, forcing people to pay to vote uh, is called the poll tax, and we've talked about these on, on our show. Uh, it should be illegal, but uh, Justice Sam Alito and four other Republicans on the Supreme Court recently gave a new way of preventing working people from voting their seal of approval. It is arguably a new type of poll tax because it almost exclusively hits working class and poor people. Um, and just in case, you know, you don't know, uh, poll tax became a big thing in the wake of the, con uh, the collapse of Reconstruction in the 1880s, with most states that used them offering an exception to the tax for anybody who, quote, declared, close quote, 
that their ancestors had voted before the Civil War. Because prior to the Civil War, the voting populace was 100% white in the South. The effect of that exception was that the poll tax fell entirely on the newly enfranchised black voters. And you know, it, they're, they're thinking, Republicans, was if we could bring back the poll tax, things would be good. After all, it was only abolished with the passage of the 24th Amendment in 1964, and five southern states continued to use poll taxes against black voters until the new amendment was tested before the Supreme Court in 1966. So, you know, they, they figured out that, you know, if, if they can find ways to exclude um, voters of color, whether it's through, you know, declarations about their ancestry or, you know, any, any one of, of dozens of other schemes, you know, counting number of jelly beans in a jar, reciting the Constitution from memory, um, you know, their are ways of restricting access to the polls for primarily black people uh, had been, you know, remarkably effective. Uh, it was part of the Southern strategy to get, you know, black people eliminated from the voting rolls uh, which increased the the power of the white Republican voters and guaranteed them almost uh, election victories year over year over year. And we again, this is all part of what we've talked about as we've discussed the Southern strategy and you know the the uh, the voter nullification that's been going on in this country for many years. We've seen the results of these efforts over the past uh, election cycles in uh, most notably in the extremely long voter lines, you know, three, four, five, as many as 10 hours wait uh, in uh, precincts with high black uh, and people of color turnout uh, imposed through the, the use of, you know, these voter restriction tactics, you know, limiting the number of polling places, limiting voting hours, eliminating early voting as best they could. Um, and what we've seen is, you know, a strengthening of the Republican positions uh, in these districts, uh, simply from the fact that, you know, people can't take time off from work, they can't afford to lose the pay, the hours are too long, and, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, this has been going on for a number of years, and uh, what we've seen, you know, over the past decade or two, uh, there's been pushback. There's been a lot of pushback against this widespread practice as those long lines started gaining publicity. And, you know, they, they realized that there had to be a way to pull it off that was less visible, less likely to be called out, less likely to arouse outrage in the media. And the answer, it turns out, was simple and elegant. Um, and this came out of Ohio. The Ohio Republican Secretary of State, John Houston, figured out the, the magic formula and took it all the way to Supreme Court in 2018, where five you know, corrupt Republicans gave it their seal of approval. And uh, you know, side note, in defiance of federal law, the National Voter Registration Act of 1993 and the 24th Amendment, Houston knew that people paid by the hour, 
were both more likely to be Democratic voters and because voting cost them money, were less likely to vote in every election. So he reasoned that if he could simply use the failure to vote in previous elections as the trigger to purge those working class citizens from the voting rolls, everything would work out better for Republicans because it would mostly trap working class and poor people. So, you know, after all, you know, he, he reasoned people who were paid salaries and thus didn't lose pay when they take time off to vote tend to vote in every election. It's a habit in part because it's cost free. And those salary people are more likely to be upper middle class white people who make up the voting base of the Republican Party. So, you know, and, and the article cites uh, a, a passage from Debt.org uh, that says, quote, Republican candidates gain a significantly higher percentage of votes from individuals with incomes over $50,000 per year and the advantage increases along with the income level to a height of 63% of individuals earning $200,000 or more a year supporting Republicans. You know, and you know, it, it says this level is the direct inverse of individuals earning less than $15,000 a year who support Democrats at 63% and Republicans at only 36%. So, you know, a as they said, an, an elegant and uh, what would seem to be nearly foolproof solution uh, to uh, adjusting voter turnout to favor Republicans. So, you know, it, it's clear that the, the idea of suppressing the vote along salary lines uh, was something that uh, was a almost stroke of genius. Uh, by this uh, person, uh, Mr. Houston, and you know it is something that the Republicans have latched onto and used over and over again from the Reagan era to uh, today. Um, another thing that the Republicans uh, were doing, and again led by Ohio, uh, was a attempt to purge voting rolls of Democratic voters using a technique borrowed from the old GOP strategy of, of caging. Uh, you probably have not heard of this, but this is a strategy that goes back more than 40 years. Um, the RNC began an aggressive caging program in the first year of the Reagan administration to remove black people from the voter rolls nationwide. They did it by sending junk mail looking letters into black neighborhoods asking for address verification. When the letters weren't returned, they'd strip those people from the rolls. Uh, this, pro this process of isolating quote undesirable voters is called voter caging. And you know the Washington Post noted on October 29, 2004, a week before the Bush-Kerry election, uh, quote, in 1981, the Republican National Committee sent letters to predominantly black neighborhoods in New Jersey, and when 45,000 letters were returned as undeliverable, the, com the committee compiled a challenge list to remove those voters from the rolls. In 1986, 
The RNC tried to have 31,000 voters, most of them black, removed from the rolls in Louisiana when a party mailer was returned. Um, so, you know, the, the undeliverable mail is also the basis for this year's challenges in Ohio. Republicans also sent mail to about 130,000 voters in Philadelphia, another heavily black and democratic stronghold. Uh, and again, this is called caging, a term that comes out of the junk mail business, because where you know, address unknown mail is returned by the post office, it would be put in a separate physical cage in the mailing warehouse, so those names could be removed from the mailing list to avoid paying postage to them in the future. Uh, applied to voting, it simply involves purging or removing people from the voting rolls when they fail to return the above-mentioned letters or postcards or they're returned as undeliverable. Uh, so, you know, the, the idea of using the Postal Service as a filter on, you know, the voting rolls uh, has a, a lengthy history and they have used it time and time again, even up to the, mo the most recent elections. And when the heat got to be too much over it, um, basically they would uh, make changes to it. Essentially the process would be this. Uh, they would start with addresses of those voters who failed to vote in previous um, elections, typically midterms, and send the caging letters only to them using the excuse that Ohio was, quote, just trying to verify that they hadn't moved. Using this strategy and others, as the Brennan Center for Justice noted, Republicans purged over 17 million Americans from voting rolls nationwide just between 2016 and 2018. So, you know, a, a fiendishly, uh, yeah, fiendishly, successful strategy um, and again you know one needs only look at the race between Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams uh, for the governorship of Georgia uh, Kemp purged 107,000 people off the voting rolls just prior to the election all of them registered voters who fail to return a caging card uh, he quote won by 50,000 votes and is repeating his efforts again this year through his Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, um, and, you know, looking to repeat uh, the, the victory that he got then. So, you know, Raffensperger has recently sent caging letters to 185,666 Georgians, while... Stacey Abrams is frantically trying to get 100,000 voters registered to make up for the purges. You know, so this didn't go unnoticed and unchallenged. Democrats sued uh, Houston in 2018. Uh, Houston, uh, the case Houston versus A. Philip Randolph Institute. Uh, Supreme Court Associate Justice Sam Alito opened his discussion approving of the new GOP voter purge strategy, quoting statistics that are meaningless as his rationale for endorsing Houston's strategy. Uh, so the, it's another example of 
the value of having uh, essentially the Supreme Court in your pocket uh, in that, you know, they can co-sign whatever uh, crazy and, um, you know, strange rules that you want to put forward. Um, and, you know, that's the way we're seeing it roll out. Um, you know, it, it is it is something that we have to uh, be aware of. Uh, we have to note. And, you know, as we've said on this show many times, you need to continually check your voter registration um, as we are now within, you know, a little bit more than a month from the midterms. Uh, I would be checking, you know, my voter registration at a minimum uh, once a week. Um, and as we get closer to the November elections, I might even uh, recommend going to checking it daily because you don't know when the purge is going to happen uh, and you want to make sure that you catch it before Election Day so that you can correct it uh, and and go ahead and continue to vote. Uh, this is, you know, a, a very devious plot, um, you know. It is something that the conservative Supreme Court has signed on uh, to support. And it is something that we, the people, need to also sign on to let the elected officials know that we don't support this, that, you know, we are taking steps. We are challenging uh, the disenfranchisement of so many people on the voter rolls. And you know, we've, we've got to stay diligent stay vigilant and make sure that we're uh, keeping up with the status of our voter registration and that of our friends and family and loved ones as well. And like we've said on this show many times, there are um, a number of locations where you can go and verify your registration status. One of them is www.usa.gov forward slash voter dash registration. And you can enter your state there and find out uh, what your current voter registration status is. Uh, as I said, I would be uh, checking it frequently now as the efforts to purge the rolls are probably going to swing into high gear as we get closer and closer to the midterms. Um, you know, and, and don't think because you've checked it once that you know, you're good to go. Uh, they may swing through, uh, you know, frequently and, and purge people, particularly, and it's important to note this, if you missed an election in your area, uh, whether, you know, it was a, you know, a midterm, whether it was, you know, a governor's, governor's race uh, or, or whatever, uh, you might be at risk of having your voter registration purged. So it is definitely worth your time to go and check your status. And as I said, as we get closer to the midterm election, I would be checking it you know, weekly um, just to make sure that a last minute purge doesn't hit and all of a sudden you're no longer registered. So, you know, that that's our call to action. That's our, um, you know, our activism step for for this week is to make sure that our voter registration status is up to date, current and 
and active and in effect. So uh, we'll uh, we'll part it right there. We're going to take a break, um, and we'll when we come back on the other side. We've got some more uh, strange and new developments from the world of uh, politics that we're going to discuss. So you're listening to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. Uh, my name is Steve, and I'm the host. Thank you, thank you so much for uh, listening to us. If you have questions or comments, please send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. And I will be more than happy to get you answers, uh, answer your questions, engage uh, in discussion, whatever you need. Uh, Just reach out and communicate with us. We'll be right back after the break. I was going to get my vote ID card because they said you had to have it in order to be able to vote. When I got there, I approached the gentleman at the counter and told him what I wanted. I showed him my veterans card he said that was no good he said you had to have a state issued id card in order to be able to vote seniors women people of color young adults those with low incomes people with disabilities every citizen needs to review your documentation now to make sure you can vote in november Please check with your local county election board to make sure the name on your photo ID closely matches the name you used when you registered to vote. Please contact us at 866-OUR-VOTE or 866-687-8683. And welcome back. Thank you for listening to that message from your friends here at WJMS Media and here at Fired Up. So this next story, uh, actually there's three of them that I'm going to roll into one discussion here um, really has me ticked off Um, and of course you know it involves two of my favorite discriminatory states Texas and Florida so you may have heard that uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis uh, got a couple of planes flew over to Texas scooped up about 50 Venezuelan asylum seekers uh, and transported them to the island of Martha's Vineyard off the coast of Massachusetts. And the, the premise behind this was, you know, to relocate these people to, quote, asylum zones uh, in the United States. And, you know, the, the uh, thing that, that cheeses me off with this to no to no extent um, is that number one the people were promised um, housing assistance clothing food education for their children uh, hospital care if they needed it and none of that was uh, provided and um, by by the the teams from DeSantis and you know Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, um, and once the individuals landed and assessments were done, some were uh, sent to the hospital for necessary care. Um, but you know the the silver lining to the story is that the people of Martha's Vineyard reached out, opened their arms, 
and uh, gave these individuals food, gave them clothing, uh, saw to their needs and you know, basically treated them with the human dignity they should have gotten from both Texas and Florida. Uh, and, and as I said, these people were fed a false narrative. They were uh, coerced to get on these planes and travel halfway across the country and uh, landed in Martha's Vineyard uh, without knowing you know, where they were or what they needed to do. And you know, it, it just is shameful that you know, this is how we treat people uh, in, in this country who legitimately and legally have applied for asylum. Don't get it twisted. These were not illegal immigrants. These people had come across the border, followed procedures, requested asylum, and were granted uh, the access to the asylum system that they need. Now, the individuals uh, who are you know, were in Martha's Vineyard, have since been transported uh, to other areas in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts where, you know, they could receive shelter and, you know, clothing and food and so forth. But keep in mind, some of them have uh, immigration hearings as soon as today, as of the, the broadcast date of this show, um, that are, are going to occur thousands of miles away and they have no real means of getting to those hearings. So, you know, this is, this is an abomination. And, you know, there are uh, several groups that are looking into this. Uh, one of them is uh, a group called Lawyers for Civil Rights, or LCR. And they're a Boston-based group that's representing 30 of the 48 people flown from Texas to Martha's Vineyard on Wednesday. And they said individuals working in concert with state officials, including the Florida governor, made numerous false promises to the migrants, including of work opportunities, schooling for their children and immigration assistance in order to induce them to travel. According to the LCR, and this is according to the article, uh, which is providing pro bono legal assistance to the asylum seekers, the Venezuelans were duped in what was essentially a coordinated political stunt targeting vulnerable people based on their race and country of origin. Those flown to the Holiday Island included women and children as young as two years old. LCR has written to the U.S. Attorney Rachel Rollins and the Massachusetts Attorney General Maura Healy requesting they open criminal investigations as, quote, we strongly believe that criminal laws were broken by the perpetrators of this stunt. In a statement, LCR said, this cowardly political stunt has placed our, our clients in peril. Upon arrival, numerous individuals had to be rushed to the hospital in need of medical care. Some now have immigration hearings as early as Monday, that is today, thousands of miles away. It was only when the plane was midair that people were told they were heading to Martha's Vineyard and not Boston, according to LCR. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has denied that the migrants were duped, claiming that they signed waivers knowing where they were going. The political fallout 
may bring unintended consequences for DeSantis as Florida is home to the largest Venezuelan diaspora outside of the country. The Venezuelan population in the U.S. has more than doubled in the past decade amid an unprecedented exodus caused by the country's economic and political crises, which have driven out millions of people from the once stable and prosperous South American country. Local Venezuelan advocates and community leaders slammed DeSantis over the weekend, accusing the governor of political game playing. So here, you know, Ron DeSantis has once again, um, you know, stepped on the landmine of uh, messing with people of color uh, and immigrants uh, that have come into this country legally seeking asylum under our laws. These are not illegal immigrants. These are legal asylum seekers. Every one of them is a legal asylum seeker to the United States seeking asylum from their country here in the U.S. Um, DeSantis has ignored that and you know has taken it upon himself to ship these people uh, halfway across the country to uh, Martha's Vineyard, a place they don't know, um, and you know, just uh, a, a shameful display of you know the the white privilege, white arrogance, whatever you want to call it, um, that you know he has shown so many times in the past. Um, personally, I hope that there is you know a legal recourse here. I hope that. You know, the uh, the justice system weighs in on this and, you know, definitely takes you know, DeSantis and Texas Governor Greg Abbott to task. It is possible that, you know, charges uh, could fall in line under human trafficking laws um, under, uh, you know, uh, the Mann Act under a number of different laws in this country uh, involving uh, taking people across state lines uh, ostensibly without their understanding and permission and approval and transplanting them from one part of the country to another. So what do the uh, what do the governors say? Well, the governors of Texas, Arkansas and Florida, who say they are protesting what they describe as the failure by the federal government to secure the border has spent millions of taxpayer dollars, including funds allocated for COVID relief, in busing thousands of migrants and refugees to places like Washington, D.C., New York, and Chicago. On Saturday, uh, 50 migrants, including a one-month-old baby, were sent in a bus from Texas to the Washington home of the Vice President Kamala Harris. The strategy, which has been condemned by the White House, Democratic officials, immigration lawyers, and rights groups, has caused further stress and upheaval for many of the migrants and refugees, who are often trying to reunite with relatives while their legal asylum cases are processed in court. A protest that was planned yesterday uh, when activists from the country's oldest and largest Latino civil rights group the League of United Latin American Citizens, or LULAC, 
planned to make a human chain in order to physically stop further buses departing Eagle Pass, Texas. Uh, LULAC is going to counter the anti-migrant political hate speech, lies, and misinformation recruiters are using to entice men, women, and children in despair. And that's a quote from Domingo Garcia, uh, the group's national president. Governors Abbott, DeSantis, and others are toying with them like political piñatas with no concern for their well-being. So they have similar uh, actions uh, across the border as part of a nationwide education campaign called Bust the Buses. Um, This is a new thread in addition to the cartels and extreme weather. So we need to be on the ground spreading the word so migrants know there are rogue agents of the state trying to scan them, scam them, excuse me. Carlos Martinez, LULAC's social media manager, told The Guardian uh, en route to Eagle Pass. On Sunday, Dick Durbin, chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, criticized the Southern Republican governors for using migrants for political purposes. It's pathetic, he said, that these governors are taking advantage of these helpless people, he said. It's always the kids that end up being the victims. And I, I couldn't agree with that statement more. Um, you know, this is yet another example, as I said, of the disregard for basic human rights and human dignity that has been on display from the, the Texas and Florida governors. Uh, this, you know, has to be challenged. Um, you know, we need to, the electorate needs to take this up as a call to action and, and you know, do what is necessary to, uh, to defeat these individuals. Keep in mind, DeSantis is considered a front runner for a uh, Republican presidential nomination. Uh, we need to make sure that we are exercising the pressure Uh, to make that as difficult a journey, if not impossible, uh, for him going forward. Um, So that's part one. Another story related uh, came across in uh, the media, and this was where a bus contractor hired by Texas Governor Greg Abbott to transport migrants to New York signed an agreement to not talk to New York officials, complicating volunteer efforts to help uh, to help these individuals. And this was reported uh, about a day ago. Texas has bused thousands of migrants to East Coast cities over the past few months. A contractor busing the migrants has been banned from speaking with New York City officials, and this is according to the Associated Press. The lack of communication complicates nonprofit groups' efforts to meet and help those arriving. So, you know, it, it is uh, clear that, you know, this is a coordinated effort by the Southern Republican governors um, to, to restrain, constrain, and confound the process of assisting these immigrants to our country Uh, at every turn. Manuel Castro, commissioner of the New York City's Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs, told the AP that complicates complicates efforts to meet 
and provide resources for migrants being sent from Texas. And quote, it's a problem because we don't know when the buses are coming, how many buses are coming, if anyone on those buses has medical conditions uh, that they will need help with, if they need a wheelchair, Castro told the outlet. We at least want to know so that we can best help the people as they arrive. Uh, volunteer groups rely on tips to, for help as they wait for hours in New York's Port Authority for buses from Texas to arrive. Uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott has been sending buses of migrants to Democratic cities like Washington, D.C. and New York, uh, you know, protesting uh, in, or in response to President Joe Biden's immigration policies. Following in Abbott's footsteps, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis took responsibility, as we've just talked about, for flying 50 migrants to Martha's Vineyard this week. Uh, the AP has reported so far that about 8,000 migrants were bused from Texas to Washington, D.C., and another 2,200 were bused to New York City. While some migrants told the AP they were grateful for the help they received to reach East Coast cities, the New York Times reported that the influx has meant the volunteer and nonprofit groups helping these migrants have been overwhelmed and many migrants are ending up in homeless shelters. In a statement to the AP, uh, Governor Abbott's office dismissed the criticism of the lack of communication. Uh, their words, instead of complaining about fulfilling their sanctuary city promises, these Democrat hypocrites should call on President Biden to do his job and secure the border, something the president continues to be failing to do, said spokeswoman Renee Eves said on Thursday. Um, you know, this, like I said, this just, you know, ticks me off to no end that they are turning the plight of these people who are, are doing nothing more than seeking asylum in our country or seeking refugee status in our country uh, and you know, treating them as political pawns in some bizarre chess game. Um, you know, we need to take note of this. We need to make sure that we are communicating with our elected officials uh, and communicating with these governors to say that this is unacceptable and we expect that a humane solution be put in place and executed so that these uh, individuals receive the proper care and treatment and welcome to this country that they deserve. So we will keep you posted on what happens with these immigrants as well as the Martha's Vineyard group going forward. And finally, on this week's podcast, we uh, go back to the subject of Martha's Vineyard. And uh, this is an article I came across in Bite, uh, Breitbart. And uh, they asked the question, Martha's Vineyard could house 6 million refugees. Now, before I get into the story, I should make mention that uh, I spent a lot of time in my growing up years on the island of Martha's Vineyard. Uh, my family, we used to vacation there frequently, like every year. And so when I heard this statement, I really was taken aback by it. Um, 
because the island is, just to give you a picture, Martha's Vineyard is seven miles wide and 21 miles long. That's about 96 square miles. Um, and the idea that you could put six million people on that space is ridiculous. Number one, uh, they don't have the housing for it. Even if you were going to build housing for that many people, it would involve uh, building basically skyscrapers. Uh, the other is they don't have the infrastructure to support that many people. That is their electric grid, their water and sewer systems, you know, all of these things would need massive uh, beefing up in order to accommodate six million people. Think about it this way. The island of Manhattan has roughly about 40 square miles and there are uh, about 8.6 million people living on Manhattan Island. Now, they don't spread out horizontally, they spread out vertically. So uh, unless we're going to put, you know, 60 or 70 story high rise buildings on the island of Martha's Vineyard, um, you know, th I just don't see this happening. But anyway, to the story. So as we discussed in the lead story, you know, the uh, 50 people who arrived there uh, seeking shelter, uh, the island's officials announced that, the resi that its residents, towns, and community-based nonprofit groups had sprung into action to provide food, shelter, health care, and other amenities to the new arrivals. They noted that two emergency shelters had been, had been established in case, quote, further uh, arrivals occurred. So it raises the question at, by at Breitbart, how much capacity does Martha's Vineyard have to shelter refugees? So according to census data reports, there are around 17,000 year-long residents on the island and about 14,600 homes on the islands. So according to their math, they're estimating each home has four bedrooms and that each bedroom can comfortably sleep three people. That would bring the sleep capacity of the island up to 175,200 beds and 158,200 would be unoccupied. If anything, this likely uh, underestimates the sleeping capacity of the island. During the southern months, the summer months, excuse me, the island is said to regularly house uh, 200,000 people at a time. If you really packed people in, allowing for sleeping in living rooms and libraries and dining rooms and studies, you could easily house about 400,000. A handful of migrants um, shouldn't create too much of a hassle if you have that kind of capacity, according to what Breitbart is saying. Um, of course, there's also a lot of available land in Martha's Vineyard that could be converted into housing for refugees. With the current population, there are about 194 people per square mile. This is around the population density of Indiana, Georgia, or North Carolina. If you were to raise the density to that of Washington, D.C., which has 11,295 people per square mile, we could fit nearly a million newcomers. 
Okay, let's stop right there. Let's dive into that. So, yes, there is open space on Martha's Vineyard. However, that space is also uh, a, a state refugee for uh, wildlife. Um, and there are protected species that live on that island in those, uh, in those uh, unfinished areas. And, you know, again, it doesn't take into account the enormous amount of building effort that would need to happen. Keep in mind, this is an island. It's about seven miles off the coast of Massachusetts. Um, and, you know, one other thing to put in the back of your mind is that the vast majority of housing that is on the island uh, is summer housing. That is, there's you know little if any insulation. There are few if any uh, houses equipped with adequate winter heating. And trust me, I've been there during the winter. It gets cold on Martha's Vineyard. It gets damned cold. So, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it, it's almost laughable that they think you could put six million people on Martha's Vineyard. And, you know, it, it just goes to show how little thought goes into these proposals that come out of the conservative uh, media. You know, Breitbart is saying that, you know, they could, you know, take over, you know, part of the uh, estate of Barack Obama, who owns a 29-acre estate. Um, you know, it, it's, it's ludicrous. It's laughable. There is no way that Martha's Vineyard could adequately house six million people. Um, they, they just couldn't do it. So, you know, to the folks at Breitbart, uh, I suggest before you publish something like this in the future, that maybe you go spend a weekend and, and cruise around the island uh, and, and take a good look at what's there. As I said, the majority of the houses that are there you know, the, the pictures that were included with the article, and you can go to Breitbart and look it up, were pictures of uh, all the mansions and, you know, the big houses uh, in Oak Bluffs around the, uh, uh, the park where the, the, the band plays and so forth. Um, that's not the rule on Martha's Vineyard. The vast, overwhelming majority of houses are small, uninsulated, unheated, summertime-only residences that, you know, can, can house, you know, four or five uh, people comfortably, um, maybe a few more if you, you know, squish them in. But clearly, the, there is no capacity on Martha's Vineyard uh, to house six million people, and it would be prohibitively expensive to build housing capable of holding that many people. Remember, it's an island and everything has to be brought out to it on boats. So, you know, it, it would cost an, an amazing amount of money. So I read this article and I literally had had to stop and and laugh because uh, I don't know where Breitbart got its information on the island. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they were just relying on 
you know, the, the tourist magazines and, and so forth. But there is no way that six million people could fit on Martha's Vineyard. Never mind the fact that the majority of homes on Martha's Vineyard are owned by individuals that either live on the island or are regular uh, guests on the island. They own those homes. So, you know, it, it, it's not practical to expand or increase the quantity or capacity of the housing stock on the island of Martha's Vineyard. As I said, it uh, would be a logistical nightmare. The infrastructure of the island is not set up to support that many people. And by that, I mean the electrical grid, the sewer and water systems um, just aren't capable of sustaining that many people on an island of that size. So, you know, nice try, Bryce Breitbart, but uh, you need to go back and do some research. So, all right, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you all, as always, for joining me. Uh, as, as always, please make sure that you're taking care of yourselves. Uh, watch out for the, the viruses that are out there. And, you know, I look forward to bringing you another message in seven days. Mm-hmm.